Hello and welcome to the Advertising Week Europe podcast sponsored by MWW. Uh, my name is John Reynolds, a host. Uh, coming up later, we're talking to Julia Smith, Director of Communications at Impact. Uh, but first up, we are joined by Damon Reeve, Reeve, who is the Chief Exec of the Ozone Project. Uh, thanks for joining me, Damon. You are very welcome. We'll talk about the Ozone Project shortly in a bit more detail and how that's progressing. But first up, it'd be good to get your take on uh, Adweek Europe. I think you've been on a, a panel this morning, have you? I was on a panel this morning. It was uh, about uh, programmatic advertising uh, and, I guess, is it growing up, um, which, was, uh, uh, which was interesting. Okay, and what, what is it growing up then? What 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 were some of the um, the learnings and some of the findings from the panel then? Uh, I, I, yes, it has come a long way. Uh, it's probably at its adolescent stage. Okay. Uh, is probably a fair uh, um, summation. Um, there's a lot of things that need to change, but you know we are starting to go in the right direction. I think a general sort of view is that the first wave of programmatic, and we yeah. I think we're we're getting close now with eighty percent of digital advertising being programmatic, we probably have to drop the programmatic piece and just call it advertising or digital advertising. Um, uh, the first phase or the first era has very much been dominated by technology companies. Sure. Um, I think we're moving into an era now where uh, brands and publishers will probably be driving the agenda in a more significant way. Okay, so that's interesting. So you're saying it's so commonplace now that we don't need to talk it, we don't need to call it uh, programmatic anymore then? Uh, we've got to be getting pretty close to, uh, to dropping the programmatic. For sure, uh, there is uh, a difference between, you know, I guess the proxy for an insertion order is a, is a is programmatic direct or some kind of future buy. Okay. Um, there is, that is still a significant part of um, the market, but increasingly spot buying um, or uh, uh, RTB sure. um, is becoming commonplace, uh, I guess, in buying. Okay, uh, and aside from the panel, uh, have you had a chance to look at some of the uh, the agenda this year? Is there anything in particular that caught your eye? Or I haven't had a huge <laughs> chance to see much else, um, but uh, I am interested in uh, hearing what Activision have to say tomorrow. Okay. Um, I think the gaming industry is one of those uh, industries yeah. that uh, has become a giant uh, and certainly isn't as much on my radar as I'd like it to be. Okay, so let's just um, talk about the Ozone Project. Um, for the uninitiated, un- un- this is a collaboration between uh, News UK, publisher of The Times and The Sun, The Guardian, The Telegraph and Reach, publisher of The Daily Mail, which have basically pulled together their added ad inventory and audience data together. Now, when it was launched, it was kind of billed as a, a premium scale alternative to Facebook and Google. But I got the impression that maybe you don't like that sort of how it's been built, or, or do you? Are you happy well, I mean, I think you've got to be careful of, of uh, defining yourself by comparing to others. Sure. Um, for sure, what we're seeing is uh, advertisers increasingly buy platforms mm-hmm. uh, for the scale and for the targeting capabilities. Um, that isn't what news publishers offer. Um, And that's what we're looking to address with uh, the Ozone Project, is the ability for quality publishers to be able to give advertisers an alternative to the other uh, two platforms in the way in which they can reach digital audiences. Okay, so you, when when did you actually join then? You joined after it launched, didn't you? No, 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 I was uh, right from the very beginning. So uh, May 2017 was when we started working on Ozone. Okay. Um, We announced uh, at Cannes last year um, the um, joint venture. Uh, and we've been developing and kind of moving into operational mode since. Okay, can you can you give us a flavour, a bit of an update on how you're progressing? I know, I think you've given interviews before, haven't you, when you said you were looking to uh, to grow the collaboration. I think maybe you're talking to other 
uh, newspapers of the magazine brands. Is there any update there at all? Um, nothing that I can announce right now, but we've got a number in the wings. Um, so I think it's important to understand that as a platform, Ozone has two sides to mm -hmm. its business. The first one is publishers and yeah. bringing other publishers on board. Um, uh, and we have a particular interest in content creators. Okay. Um, so broadcasters, magazines, other news publishers, uh, because what we want to do is uh, uh, to create a world where um, content creators can monetize their content in a more effective way. Um, on the brand side or on the demand side, uh, mm. it's uh, brands and agencies, um, those who are looking to reach those audiences. Um, and we've had some um, great gains, particularly with brands uh, in the first sort of phase uh, of Ozone where brands are looking to um, use their own CRM and first party data mm. uh, and bring that to life by mingling and building custom audiences with publishers. Which brands are these? Which brands are they? Um, I'm probably going to wait for okay. an announcement imminently. Um, okay. But we've got a, a number of uh, uh, tests running with uh, direct with brands that are going really well. Okay. And what's, I mean, another big uh, selling point when you launched was you talked a lot about uh, cleaning up the, um, or the lack of transparency in the supply chain. Can, can you just explain to listeners how Ozone is, is providing or, or providing greater transparency? Well, the thing that's interesting about, I mean, transparency means different things to different people. Mm. Um, but generally, uh, a brand and a publisher have no reason not to be completely transparent. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the price that's paid for inventory, for mm. data, where campaigns or where advertising is run, um, uh, whichever sort of aspect of transparency you wish to choose, mm -hmm. um, publishers are more than happy uh, to be able to provide uh, all of uh, complete transparency all the way through to log level data if that's what um, is requested. So, uh, by definition, Ozone is a completely transparent platform. Um, mm. We offer buyers everything from price transparency through to log level data. Um, it gets a little more complex uh, the further up the chain you go um, mm. to intermediaries, mm. um, which I think is probably mm. a good reason why we're having good engagement with brands so far. So, so in short, to put it in lay language, you're cutting some of these various intermediaries out of the chain then, is that, is that how it works? Uh, no, not at all. So we're still working with uh, all of the, or most of the uh, intermediaries uh, in the chain. The difference is the decision maker is the brand and the publisher. Um, and the people in between are acting or working on our behalf. Now, that's not really the way the uh, technology sector is set up today. Um, a lot of uh, technology companies view mm -hmm. themselves as being independent controllers mm. um, and providing services, but um, at the same time also being a controller. Uh, when a brand and a publisher come together, the decision-making becomes slightly different decision-making, but we're still working with the same or similar partners. Okay, and uh, just to be clear, so all the um, all the inventory, all the premium inventory on all the, the newspapers, that, that's available through Ozone Project, isn't it? It's not selected, the inventory it's available on. No, that's correct. So it, it is all the same inventory. Ozone has full access to sort of uh, all of the publishers' sites and inventory. But it's an important point that it's not just about inventory. Um, mm. Programmatic advertising... Um, and one of the frustrations with programmatic advertising is it has... Uh, defined its currency as being an impression, mm. which means the audience that a publisher creates mm -hmm. um, is, for the most part, discarded, um, and value around and understanding around audience is created by others. Mm. Um, 
one of the uh, objectives of Ozone is to um, bring audience value that publishers have created back to becoming part of um, the asset that uh, brands are engaging with. Okay. And, and um, I mean, you, you're quite guarded on, on what you can uh, announce, but, I mean, you are looking for... How, how, have you signed up other partners, which, which you can't just tell us who they are? Is, it, is that right or not? Or in terms of other publishers or not? Or? Yeah, so we are onboarding other publishers, but there's, there's no one that I can announce right now. Okay. And, I mean, how's it... I mean, obviously your job is, a, I guess, arguably a, a difficult job because you're managing these... Uh, disparate news brands which traditionally or still are kind of rivals day to day I mean how's that is that, is that, is that tough or not or you're getting uh, all nice no and... actually uh, if anything uh, that's the lowest part of the friction in, in the market uh, publishers have a real desire and, and interest uh, in working together and collaborating and creating value um, most of the friction really I think comes from uh, trying to get a, a an advertising market that's uh, for the most part, largely set in their ways, even though uh, mm-hmm. uh, programmatic advertising is a largely young industry. Um, people are very good at doing things that they or they like doing things the way they used to do them. Okay. Um, and trying to get people to do things slightly differently is a bit of a challenge. What would be an example then of someone who's, of how they're set in their ways then? Um, I think despite uh, the press uh, and despite yeah. the challenges around transparency, um, buyers... Um, use existing platforms uh, because they ultimately work um, for a buyer. Um, the exercise in educating buyers um, that there is alternatives um, just takes time. Okay. And um, just slightly changing tact, I asked my other guest this. We talked about the, the, the horror of the, um, uh, the massacre in uh, New Zealand. And um, some of the, the commentary on that, some, of bl- some blame was attached to uh, the platforms, to uh, Facebook and uh, to Google, basically saying that this uh, uh, video, uh, part of the video, or the video itself was uh, obviously shown live on Facebook and uploaded to YouTube, and the platforms weren't very quick in, in getting rid of and, and deleting these videos. I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? And more broadly, on brand safety. Do you think YouTube is, is getting a grip on this now or, or not? Or? Uh, no. Right. Um, I think the brand safety is a, is a, 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 a large topic and mm. a complex topic for news publishers. News publishers generally are significantly or disproportionately disadvantaged by the crude implementation of uh, brand safety tools today. Um, News publishers are also um, very sensitive to brands uh, and their association with um, events like what happened over the weekend. So, um, for example, uh, sorry, last week. So, uh, for example, any story that was reported like that, Mm. the news publishers don't um, run advertising alongside content like that. Um, We have the ability to control that because Mm. we understand brands, because we've been working with them a long time. and that's an important um, control that I feel is missing um, around a lot of the user-generated content platforms. I thought, I thought the Mail Online did run advertising, didn't it, around that video? Briefly, anyway. Or maybe they took it down quickly, I think, maybe. Uh, I can't comment on the Mail Online. Right, okay. Uh, they're not part of Ozone. But uh, um, I think my, I, I guess my point yeah, is okay. there is yeah. a challenge around brand safety um, that news publishers have to address. Uh, but also it's for them to, and for us, to educate buyers on the 
um, the safety of news content. Mm. And initially when I asked you about uh, YouTube, whether it was getting to grips with brand safety, you kind of gave an assertive no. You've not been impressed. You've obviously got more people moderating, they're using AI and machine learning. But I mean, I guess it's such a, such a massive platform, it's very difficult to police, isn't it? It is, uh, uh, and you know, I'm, it's, it's not for me to directly call no. out um, the shortcomings of other platforms or businesses. Um, I feel that uh, companies that have such a um, supreme use of data when it comes to ad targeting, mm. um, uh, it would be great to see it used to better effect for brand safety. Okay, so just um, looking forward, so I mean we're coming up to, as you said, a year since the launch of uh, Ozone. I mean what's, in terms of announcements and the rest of this year, where, where do you hope to be uh, by the end of this year then? I mean have you got specific revenue targets? or? Uh, yes we do, I've got a lot of targets as you can probably imagine. Yeah. Um, the effect that Ozone has in market is, is uh, comes in an, at a number of levels. Mm. Um, one is around shifting advertising spend from other channels mm. uh, to publishers, mm. uh, news publishers, um, uh, providing a platform for other publishers to be able to benefit from the investment that we're making, um, but also a, in changing the, the way in which uh, advertising is bought and sold um, for the publishers. Um, and the biggest sort of point of change there, I think, is around control and the use of data. Mm. Um, publishers want to move away from uh, selling inventory in the open market, which mm. for the most part is a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, an MPU on The Guardian after a heavy investment in journalism to um, create the content, um, from an RTV point of view, is valued almost the same as a long tail mm. uh, blogging site that uh, is also running an MPU. Um, so the value of audience needs to be um, uh, brought to the fore much more, um, and that's a huge investment. And that requires a shift, as I said before, in buyer behaviour. Okay, right. Okay, that is uh, fantastic. We're, we're quickly running out of time. Just uh, finally, the theme is Adweek Europe. I know you've only kind of dipped your, your toe in, but I mean, how does, um, from the limited experience you have, Adweek Europe, I mean, is it, is it essential for you to be here? How does it compare to other... Uh, uh, conferences and other, and other seminars you, you go to? Uh, look, I think it's great. Uh, the one, uh, and a theme came up this morning um, uh, in, on the panel that I was on, around the, the benefits of collaborating. Um, and there's not enough collaboration, uh, or there hasn't been, and it feels like more and more different companies are coming together to collaborate in different ways, which creates new stuff, which is exciting. Right, okay, Damon, that is fantastic. And do stay listening, because next up we have uh, Julia Smith. Uh, so thanks very much for uh, joining me, uh, Julia. You are very welcome. Before we talk all things um, Adweek Europe, it'd be great to get your take on the, um, the criticism which has been heaped on uh, social media platforms uh, and their role in spreading violent videos and dangerous ideologies in light of the, the Christchurch massacre. I mean, are people right to be critical, particularly of, of Facebook, where it was obviously live-streamed, and, and Google, where, the, um, where it was uploaded to? 
I'm actually surprisingly, I'm going to defend Facebook on this one. And I said, I've worked with brand safety companies over the last seven years. But in this instance, I think Facebook's reaction was incredibly swift. We're talking hundreds of views in the first instance and only a couple of thousand of restreams of that, con of that content before it was taken down. So as far as processes are concerned, Facebook followed the very cl clear guidelines and actually took that content down. So my, my thought is that they responded well um, and in line with the guidance that's been steeped on them by regulations and, and such organisations as the IAB. Okay, and what about, I think um, it was obviously uploaded to uh, YouTube too, um, where it's seen by hundreds if not thousands of people. I think one of the issues that YouTube has is that um, people can kind of uh, re-upload a slightly edited version and they don't basically have the technology to take those videos down. So I guess there's still work for, yeah. for YouTube to do in this area. 100%. I mean, let's not forget that this time last year we had stories and I was actually expecting the start of Ad Week this week to have another big story against, against the digital gangsters or so there. Um, people are calling them. But I, I think that YouTube needs to do a lot more work. People, brands are already pulling the budgets from YouTube in the wake of the news a couple of weeks ago. This will do them yet more harm. And hopefully it will steep on them just more pressure to, to be in line with the regulations that are out there. Okay. And that's important for them to start abiding by. Okay, and the last thing on this, I think the, the criticism has also been levelled at some of the newspapers too, like the, the Mirror and the, the Sun and the Mail, who also showed the video. But they, they did take it down... Uh, uh, later in the day but I guess it's fair to heap some criticism on, criticism on them too so you can say but news is uh, there's a very fine line and so a grey area with the news stories they got to report on the news and this was news yeah. glorifying it certainly not and but that wasn't actually the aim of doing this and I think um, one of the issues you come back round to again is that yeah. that was more an issue for the advertisers appearing against that content rather than the news uh, running it as a news story so, so I think the newspapers there's a bit, little bit more fi fine line for them and I think in some ways they were right to run the story, possibly not the content, given the nature of it. Okay. Now, yesterday on this podcast, we had an exec from News UK. They've just launched uh, a new uh, influencer marketing agency, uh, which they're very ambitious, got big targets behind it. I mean, is that, that's obviously... Uh, it's been around for some time. I mean, what's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, they had some teething problems with the issue. I mean, is, is, is influencer marketing, is that going to be as big this year as it was last year? Or? Um, well, one of the strains that's come out of this uh, week Europe is, is there's going to be no next big thing, but I do think there's going to be the next better thing. Okay. I think in light of the ad blockers, again, that was brought up yesterday, still has a huge, poses a huge threat with 22% of adults using ad blockers. So every media owners, publishers, advertisers have all got to find a different way of, of communicating marketing to their audiences and obviously generating revenue so for news influencer marketing is a great way to go we also know yesterday Getty did a session on the brain processes images 60,000 times faster than text so mm. it's about visual it's about connections using connections in that way so influencer is going to come into its own what's going to be tricky and actually within impact we launched a partnership automation right. which allows for influencer marketing to be tracked alongside your other strategies such as your mobile display TV. So it's actually, there has been a little bit of a patchwork effect with influencer marketing as to where it sits, how it's tracked. So that needs to be part of this move towards a partnership economy, which I think we'll see. Okay, so you touched on uh, some of the sessions you've already seen this year. I mean, what, what, what in particular are you looking forward to, or perhaps you've already seen at Adweek Europe this year? So I'm looking forward to the Marketing Society are doing the uncomfortable truth about marketing. I love those sessions in which we, okay. we start to be a bit more
or no holds barred. Um, and that poses that the people on that panel are certainly going to say some, some home truth. There's also the drum arms are hosting the future of work and the ability to be flexible within work session on Thursday. Um, I work with a company that's with Femme Niche that's about women and the flexibility around the work is one of those topics that comes up. So I'm incredibly interested to see that. Okay, and you saw Snap, did you? you yeah, so Snap actually, that was, again, they said they made a little bit of a faux pas saying it's a bit of a misconception that they have a young audience and then proceeded, then, then revealed that two-thirds of their audience is under 24. So I think that, as always, Snap tends to be controversial for the wrong reasons. Um, I did also hear, I think, Bernie Eccleston, a shout-out to him for, for one of the most controversial sessions in which he said Putin should run Europe, not Brussels, and women can't do Formula One. As you can imagine, in, the, in, the, in light of International Women's yeah. Day, this went down like a lead balloon. What did he say? Women can't do Formula One? Can't do Formula One, and that Putin should run Europe, not Brussels. And what was the audience response to that? I was think it, was pretty, booed, there, there was quite a few Twitter comments with the words just plain mad. It does seem uh, bizarre. So, Adweek Europe, how does this compare? Presumably, you go to a few uh, conferences, seminars. Is, is Adweek Europe, is, is, it, is it crucial to, to someone in your role or, or um, not? Absolutely, because I wear so many different hats and work for global organisations. But Europe is such a. We, I think everybody. Uh, kind of merges together and talks about the real issues and I actually think people are a lot more controversial and willing, willing to say things that we're all thinking and if we're going to make changes in the industry sometimes truth and transparency is the best approach in every aspect of what we do so yet again this is not disappointed and we're only on day two okay I mean I guess one criticism maybe about Adweek Europe or you can uh, conferences generally is you do tend to uh, see the same names, the same people speaking all the time. I guess these are the people at the top of the industry, uh, but they do what they say can be quite repetitive, and you do feel uh, well versed and they know what kind of questions are coming. Would you like to see more varied people 100%. speaking? I'm, I get thoroughly frustrated with the pay-to-play options that surround these big events. There are so many strong speakers in mm. companies that can't afford the big ticket that comes with speaking at these events or haven't got the big names behind them. We hope. To to see more diversity, not just in gender or race, but actually in topics yeah. and in thoughts and, and also the scale of companies. I'd love to see there's a lot of small companies coming out with big ideas. That's going to be our future. Let's get them on stage. Right. Okay. That is fantastic. Thank you very much. Julie. Thank you, John.